0: This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Agri Farley. Today I'm speaking with Brian Faquet of the Prohibition Distillery in Roscoe, New York. Thanks for joining me today, Brian. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so brian tell me a little bit about the prohibition distillery what does the world need to know about it
1: well we're a micro distillery that started out in 2009 actually we started sharing a distillery with folks over at Tuttletown. great bunch of guys shared their space for about three years until we raised the money to get out on our own oh wow roscoe new york we were housed we found this great little town which is roscoe found an old firehouse built in 1929 eventually it was wiped out initially by a flood that came through here. So what we did is we came in, did a gut renovation on it. We bought the VFW Hall, which is the barrel house we showed you next door, and we're restoring that building right now. So what we do is we found a great town our town is actually referred to as Trout Town, USA. Which, <laughs> really? Yeah, it's actually voted the ultimate fishing town. If you look at any of the signs, there was a competition and we're the home of fly fishing.
0: Okay, So when I thought they, I saw a sign for the Fly Fishing Hall of Fame yeah, uh, on the mu- way up here.
1: Yeah, the museum's right down the street. Okay. So this is the two rivers that run through us. That sounds like that movie. But uh, <laughs> actually the two little rivers that converge here are the, the Willow Emock and the Beaver Kill, the two cleanest bodies of water in North America. And if you didn't know, right, A couple miles that way, about 10 miles that way, is Neversink Reservoir, which is a reservoir that feeds New York City. This is the two cleanest bodies of water in North America, which is kind of a neat little fact.
0: That's great. Was that kind of something you thought about as you were looking to relocate up here? Where can you get the best water? Because that's such an important part of any distillation or any final product.
1: If I wanted to make it sound like we were smart, I would say yes. (laughs) No, we just, the the town kind of found us. Someone Mm -hmm. had a property. Yeah, We were so desperate to find something to move us to that, find a permanent home And when we heard a firehouse built in the 1920s, we thought, wow, what a better, you know, you can't Amazing. get better than
0: that. And the town turned into being, they're just great people. Here. Mm-hmm. It seems like a big part of your story with your distillery is you are part of kind of the economic revitalization in some way of, of this uh, upstate New York town. Was that an important role for you too? Do you like uh, being such an integral part of such a small town? Well,
1: we enjoy being part of it, yeah. um, we're, but we're doing, I'd say there's a brewery up the street or actually mm-hmm. two breweries within a uh, roscoe brewing as well as catskill brewing within five miles of us that they came along but there's so many good business people that are trying their hardest to go and do things but we are part of the revitalization of the catskills some people have given us a little more credit than is due because there's so many companies that are have been making this their home for so long but i think we're doing our part and it's nice to see the tourism people getting off the highway people yeah. driving up just for our bourbon coming two three four hours which is insane (laughs) uh, because i keep trying to tell them they could probably get it on a retail store
0: yeah (laughs) but they
1: they uh which they drive they come over to see Mm -hmm. us and and it's great because they stay in the town they go shopping they go to the restaurants and bars we could be a restaurant slash bar we just chose that that's not the role i want to be there's great restaurants in the area that have been trying hard Why why take business off their table
0: well, that's great. So, w- 2009. Why distilling? What what made you want to open up your own distillery? It was uh, just chance meeting for me. I always
1: wanted to be a brewer. I had an opportunity years and years ago to invest in a actually a brewery that they needed a van, and I happened to have twenty <laughs> something thousand dollars as a my life savings at the time. Okay, and, and was going to put it into a local Long Island brewery, and yeah. was talked out about it by my dad over those same beers we were drinking over a two week period. He said, put it in mutual funds. Fast forward about five years later, and been eight years later. At that point, I was on a cross town bus, look up and I see my buddy. He's sitting there. We're the only two people on the bus. And he yeah. said, I had that's my partner John. So John Walsh he came up with the idea that, hey, I've got a great name. There's this distilling movement going on. Let's look into it. Yeah. And he was already starting the company and I jumped on board. I actually thought we were opening that bar. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we didn't.
0: <laughs> Pretty loud buzz. You couldn't quite make out what he well, was Well, he doing. <laughs> wasn't, he was,
1: he was still working on, you know, where he's, the idea was this idea. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was just calling you because I thought you would be perfect for this. And, yeah. And it ended up being, once we got together, the plan shifted from being a spirit made at a craft distillery to being, Mm-hmm. Craft distiller, it's um, craft distillery, which is how we started out.
0: That's awesome, and you could write off that first MetroCard use of yours uh, as the first company meeting. <laughs> I've built it to my old company, okay. uh, my old
1: payroll company.
0: So you guys have this idea. You're on this bus. Let's get started. How did you find Tuttletown to start with? How did you? How did the education start? Well, the um, education started. My partner, he, as I said, he was coming up with the
1: idea, name, the plan. We went and reworked the plan, but the as far as Tuttletown. There weren't many craft distilleries yeah. in the area. So, John, we, we call it Operation Tommy Boy. We're going <laughs> around looking at different distilleries and seeing what people are doing. And the the idea that, hey, if these guys can do it, we can. But at the time, we settled in on Tuttletown, working with Brian Lee up there. He's a wonderful guy. He's the uh, distiller. Yeah. He ran the distilling side of the operation. Okay. I uh, worked with him. And he's like, hey, you know what? We need money. You're happy to pay money. So, at the time, it was going to be a contract uh, relationship. Okay. But the good news for them, they ended up getting acquired in the year we were working on development and trying to figure out how to fund this thing. Mm-hmm. They ended up getting acquired by one of the big companies, yeah. which was wonderful for them. But at the same point, there wasn't a lot of room at the end. So I have to thank Brian for you know keeping us there or allowing us to stay there because we were just always trying to squeeze into little spaces mm-hmm. off hours. But basically... Being able to kind of hang on, I think he referred to us as an Alabama deer tick. I don't know if that makes it any better of a tick. Okay, but he said there's just no way to shake us. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you guys were just the, it, we were yeah. there. There was a lot of fun stories of survival while we were there because it really they were expanding. They needed room, and I understand the challenges and I value the challenge of space okay. at a, at a yeah. small distillery. So any five feet of space that you're taking up is five mm-hmm. feet that you could be putting barrels or putting sure. a tank or doing something. So we managed to find multiple ways to get our products out the door, and thankfully we did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Is that kind of where you learn how to work a still for the first time and everything? Did he show you how to do all of that? No, or? no, no, no.
1: that's all our trade secrets. We, we, okay. we obviously <laughs> were always watching, but yeah. you know, we didn't run our first still you know, Someone asked me what my first thing I ever distilled on. My yeah. first distillation was a 1200 gallon <laughs> Yeah, don't mess this up. Yeah, well, you know, with the strip, it's not exactly uh, rocket science. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I went and had a consultant, or actually, I'll call him a consultant, Sherman Owens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a really good guy Mm -hmm. down in Kentucky. He came up here, he helped me build the stills. Oh,
0: cool.
1: And so it was, you know, four of us sitting here building the equipment. And after we built it, he went and said, okay, where's your corn? And so we called up, got some corn coming in, and we started a fermentation. Took about a month to put the whole still in. So we did various stages as we went through, did a few test runs, and then we were off to the races. So, Time to go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice when you have someone you can rely on. I call Sherman a consultant, but he's a friend. There's nothing, you know, I get on the phone with him, more concerned about how he's doing with his family than, you know, and then, oh, yeah. by the way, oh, I'm thinking way. <laughs> about making this, what do yeah. you think? But what you'll find throughout the distillery world Most of us will get on the phone with one another Mm -hmm. and talk. So I'll call over to a friend in Ohio. I'll call to a friend on Long Island, call to a friend over in the Hudson Valley. So when you're making decisions on what your brands are and how you're making stuff, you don't know the answer, but the collective group of you often will share knowledge, which that's what I really love about this is that I can pick up the phone and if I'm not sure of something, yes, they're not going to tell you 100% how to do it because Mm -hmm. that's not what you're looking for. You wish they would tell you that, but you're able to go and piece things together and give it a try. That's the effort that it takes.
0: So that's something I hear from a lot of distillers is that people aren't so secretive of their trade craft or anything. They won't talk to a, a quote-unquote competitor that everyone really does feel like we're all in this together. We're all in this craft movement together. And helping a guy make it in New York helps a distiller in Ohio because it raises the level of the craft industry overall. Yeah, they call it
1: the rising tide raises all ships. Right. You know, but I'll, I'll get on the phone with uh, a buddy of mine that makes rum out in Hawaii. He makes an agricole rum that is absolutely beautiful.
0: But yeah. the challenge
1: is, is he's actually doing fresh, he's making it out of the original Polynesian sh- strain of sugarcane that he went and cultivated wow. over a 10 year period. It's amazing what he's doing. Yeah. But it's kind of a cool thing that he's not a competitor to me, he's my <laughs> friend, yeah. you know? And, and I'm excited because of what he's making is such a cool, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's the way he wants to make something and you learn as you go through it. But some of the things that I learned can actually benefit him. Yeah, God bless him. Yeah. You know? well,
0: that's awesome. So you started the idea of doing this before uh, New York State passed its new farm distillery laws, or? No, no. The law we, we've been doing. Have you been doing it since those laws were? Yeah. 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 We started. We're,
1: well, we always say we're like 2.0, you know, mm-hmm. version. Yeah. Cause you had the first uh, folks at McKenzie's, the guys at Tuttletown, yeah. you know, Ralph and Brian Rich over at LIV. That was the mm-hmm. first wave of New York distilleries. And then you had the guys that came in shortly thereafter and we were using their space so farm distillers license were already in place back then so we were actually able to go and make our products over there yeah yeah but yeah have got our three licenses here we only need one okay um but we didn't (laughs) know why not well (laughs) you know we didn't know what the hell we needed sure and so we just filled out the paperwork for all of them so we've got our class a one our class b one Mm -hmm. our class d so we can do what we'd like, but the new laws are amazing, what they just put into effect.
0: Yeah, so I want to talk to you about. Have those laws really helped you from your ability to market yourselves, distribute your products, and make it?
1: <laughs> well, I think the thing that's helpful, you know, one of the changes were it increased the amount of gallonage that people can produce. So it's not going to help me right now because I'm nowhere near the amount of gallons I can produce. Hell, I don't know when we'll even be near the old piece, but for the guys that have been around longer, it opens it up for them just to keep within their farm distillery license. That's, yeah. that's great for them. As far as a different law, one of the laws is now we can actually serve drinks right down in our tasting room, serve a cocktail. Yeah. However, as I said, that's not part of my business Mm -hmm. plan. So for people that are in cities, down in Brooklyn, up in Albany, somewhere where you're around the town, that's great, but that's not what my business plan is. It would be wonderful. I wish I could, but what scares me is I'm not a tavern owner. So I don't want to be here till all hours of the night. Yeah. I also want people, when they come here, to learn... So I want them to go and learn, take it away with them, mm-hmm. go back and spread the word. But if I have them sitting down in there, if we're too small of a location, that it clogs up my retail flow, Okay. so we wouldn't be able to do it. But you know, the laws are amazing. But what the biggest thing New York State's doing is through the Taste of New York initiative, mm-hmm. it is amazing what they're uh, the amount of effort that they're putting off to educate people on a national level, international level, about New York State products that's where I think we're getting the biggest amount of help. You know, the, mm-hmm. the law changes are great. They help us run our operation. They make yep. it easier to run the operation. But with the most important thing the, is the support that we're getting from our state and the mm-hmm.
0: government. That's awesome. How do you get the word out then so that the state is, is very helpful? The Taste of New York initiative is great. I believe it's helped you expand globally now, if, I'm, if mm. I remember. Well, we, we
1: ended up getting support from Discus. They invited us out to an event in Brazil. Per- what was that? Bar Covenant oh, out in Berlin. Okay. As well as we went down to Florida. You know, that's all through the USDA. They mm-hmm. pay for those trips. So we gotten some international exposure. Frankly, we got the Italian order. We have an order for Italy that's leaving next week. Wow. Been dealing with this all summer. It's okay. been it's killed <laughs> us from a production standpoint. Oh, really? So much additional volume on top of our crowded space mm-hmm. already. But that was a random, I don't know where she saw us, I will think. And I assume it came from that show. Okay. But she called up and said she tried our gin. And I said, I don't make gin. I I make vodka. And we had bourbon in barrels. And we were doing tests in the back on different botanicals to decide what was in our gin. And she goes, no, no, no. Your gin is beautiful. And she kept telling me about how beautiful my gin is. And I, and I, she goes, Well, <laughs> Thanks, what's in your gin? And I go, I don't make gin. Yeah. <laughs> and so, as we started going through, she said something along the lines of, You know, she goes, Well, what's in it? What, you know, I, I tasted, what, what's in it? And I said, Well, I don't make gin, but it is in, it is, it has juniper. And I, okay. I go, I love coriander in my gin. I love, uh, lemon verbena, oris root, and bitter orange. And I said, But mm-hmm. maybe I love angelica. Maybe I love, you know, this route or that route. And yeah. it was pretty funny. I'm going through all these different things, <laughs> yeah. but I'm and I'm debating them on the phone. But it was funny, the five botanicals that I rattled off my head uh-huh. after we did about a hundred distillations on our small five gallon still in the back in the lab. But I knew flavors that I liked mm-hmm. and I had things that I was trying to put together. But those five botanicals actually became the gin that we went with. Okay. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Is that it's what we left out that I think is the when you taste the gin and mm-hmm. the flavors that we're bringing, yeah, there is something. A lot of folks are saying earthy. I keep hearing earthy, but I wanted a gin that didn't have a lot of citrus. Okay, so I went juniper in your face, balanced it out with coriander, and frankly, that's what I wanted to bring out, which is my juniper and coriander, and I was happy with that. But then what I did is I put verbena in to add a citrus note to it. Mm-hmm. I put the orris in to give a fresh raspberry, but it also gives a floral bouquet. So it's all these little things that someone referred to it, which I thought was the nicest A lady coming in from Tennessee, who's a big micro distillery fan. And I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she was the first person to try it. And she said, it tastes like jazz. And I said, what does that mean? She goes, it's so much going on, but all of it comes together. And it wow. makes sense, but it's a 94 proof one Dry.
0: Oh, wow. And do you use a vapor basket to infuse your flavors, or how do you get those flavors into well, your gin? Well, I
1: bought one. I, I got a big <laughs> go. old vapor basket sitting one. up the still. You know, we've got, yeah. cause from an equipment standpoint, when you're buying, mm-hmm. I was looking at it. You know, we bought the 1,200-gallon stripping still and the 300-gallon spirit still tied to a four-plate vo- a whiskey column and a 20-plate vodka
0: column. Yeah,
1: In between there, when you look down, there's a big old gin basket. Mm-hmm. You know, I assume that that's the way my gin was going to be. Instead, I tend to like the classics. I like the Beefeater, the array, the Plymouth, you know, the ones mm-hmm. that are macerated. So we macerate over a period of 24 hours. Oh, wow. In we do a 300-gallon batch. And that was my first test batch was 300 gallons. It actually came out the way I wanted it to, so we got real lucky. Oh, amazing. We took a long time trying to balance it before we distilled it. Okay. But we do a maceration we take the big tea bags out that we make out of cheesecloth out, Okay. strain all of all the botanicals out of it, mm-hmm. and then we go and re-distill it in the 300-gallon still, gotcha. uh, which pulls all the color, of course, out, binds all the flavor, mm-hmm. comes off the still at about 150 or so, and then we water it down to 94.
0: Oh, okay. Where do you get your water from? Do you run it through a filtration system? Yeah. Do you have a reverse osmosis system in here, or? Um... Yeah, we've got,
1: we've got an RO system yeah, out yeah. here. If we can do 20,000 gallons of water a day, Wow. <laughs> But I, as I said, I might have bought a little <laughs> yeah, too much. I guess, I even,
0: even when you're setting up a distillery, you still kind of get that buying a new car feel. It's like, oh, I obviously want that accessory. And well, I want that accessory. the difference
1: in price between, it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty funny when we were, we were building it. Yeah, When we shared space over at Tuttletown, Town, they're using well water and mm-hmm. they had challenges that every company does with their water or always making sure water is coming out perfect. We learned that water was so critical. So when we came here, we've got great water here. It really is just a beautiful water, but you you still have to RO the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? So we went through and we reverse osmosis filter it. And then as we're buying the filter, it became like, oh, for only, you know, 2000 more, you can get this one. So we bought this massive, (laughs) it's a beautiful water system, but our water is consistent. It comes out beautiful every time. Mm -hmm. So we're taking an extremely clean water source and We're we're using local water. We're not filtering that to go throw into our mashes. But we're, from a standpoint of bottling, we yes. want to make sure that there's nothing flawed ever coming out of here.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then you also make a bourbon as well, and a vodka. Yes. Um, so, so you make these three different products. How do you get the flavors right for each one? Because each one is appealing to a different part of the palate on some level. We know your gin is botanical, the vodka neutral, and you know the bourbon is sweet and tastes like a uh, brown liquor. How do you make sure that you're hitting all the right flavor Profiles, you know, from a market perspective and to make sure it's going to appeal to people. What, what is that taste making process for? Why you? do people do that? <laughs> now, what we do is. No, no, no. Why, you know, but how do you make I'm sure it's. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, from a standpoint of
1: our vodka, our vodka has actual flavor.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: what we do is we take our vodka through a very cool filtration process, which takes out all of what we don't want in there, the bite, the burn, the impurity. That was yeah. our first product was bootlegger 21 vodka. Okay. Second product, as we once we came out with the vodka, the biggest challenge was fear when we moved from, out of Tuttletown with mm-hmm. the water source and all that. How are we going to have the same consistency as we did before? Unfortunately, we had a great clean water source. As far as our flavor with the filtration method that we were doing before, it was a nervous, nerve-wracking thing when we came in here. We plugged everything back in, started coming out with Spirit, and we're like, this isn't going to taste good. And then we ran it, and it came out like, wow, <laughs> this is pretty damn good. Okay. You know, we can, I can live with this stuff. That's the palate, I guess. Is My palate is in Kyle's palate, and when John's here, You know, his palate, we taste it and we decide if it's good. That's really how I do everything. Everything's based off my palate. So I'll ask everybody, does this taste good? Because sometimes I don't trust it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my palate's off. If I have a cold, I'm not tasting the same things. Or if I eat those mints with all that chemical in it that that opens your taste buds up, it actually kills my taste. So I can't Mm -hmm. taste anything. (laughs) But what we do from a standpoint of the bourbon, we're distilling the bourbon the same way each time, you know, and I'm very much a process thing is, is we make corn mash, Oh yeah, so corn mash is corn mash is corn mash. So that's always we're mash is one hundred percent corn. One hundred percent corn. We do use enzymes. We don't use malted corn, but we do a corn mash as Mm -hmm. it comes in. And when it's ready, we do our strip. It's all the same process. So I like process. You know, I think we've got great people here. We've got a process that we're almost to the point where it's going to be so consistent, and over time it's going to work out very efficiently. But what we do is, from a bourbon standpoint, bourbon distillation, we're distilling it to same temperatures every time that's coming out consistently when it's in the barrel. It's based on really when I think it's done is when it comes out of the barrel with the gin. The gin, what we do is we match up samples to the samples we did before. And what we're doing with the gin is, in order to have consistency, as well as the vodka, is we're blending the batch that we did before back into the new batch. Oh, really? So we we'll always have a consistent, okay.
0: You know,
1: we leave X gallons over uh-huh. from the previous batch, which is what a lot of people have been doing for centuries. Oh, yeah. I think some people call it your Solera method, or if you want to call yeah, it that. Right. It's essentially putting in, making sure our spirits are always containing something from the
0: original one Mm-hmm. so that it is always consistent It's a consistent, p- yeah, you're not recreating it with a wheel every single time you yeah, run so your steel. Yeah, so it's going to vary. You know, everything's mm-hmm. going to vary. Our whiskeys greatly
1: vary between the batches because I can't control the wood and I can't, we were using different sized barrels. Mm-hmm. But as far as botanicals with the gin, you know, your juniper is not, juniper is not juniper is juniper. You know, right. there's different times of year that the juniper is going to have more moisture, it's going to have more flavor, depends mm-hmm. on where it's coming from. We try to source it from the same place. But even that place that you're sourcing it from will go change up their sources mm-hmm. based on, because it's a commodity. We try to be as consistent as we can with those botanicals. When you're in the back, you saw, you probably smelt all the spices. Mm-hmm. We keep a lot of spices on hand here. I've got probably about $6,000 worth of botanicals sitting wow. in the back, enough for about 20 batches back there. But I wanted to make sure it was consistent over that those batches. Okay. So that's what I do is I buy bigger bulk of those ingredients
0: so that mm. we're at least system So for these 20 batches that you have product on they should all come out roughly the same just because they it's vary. all the same Yeah they vary you know, they vary a little bit little variations in temperature is going to have an influence on how the oils are released and, Exactly. yeah
1: exactly so we just like what we make yeah, but so, <laughs> at the end of the day what comes off is as good as i can make so it So trust
0: yourself right i mean that's a big lesson isn't it like trust that what you're making is good and if it tastes good to you then That's yeah. all and at the end we have the consumers in the tasting room so as soon as someone comes in we say, try this, okay. and they go and try it,
1: and they go, wow, this is great, or they say, oh, I don't mm-hmm. like it. And that's, the, you know, you interaction with your customers is the best way to, totally. to do it. And to answer your second, I know we went a long time on those flavors, but as far as how we marketing it, from our standpoint, it's great what the state is doing. It's great that the craft spirits movement is out there. We don't have a sales force. We do distribute. We distribute in 15 states. We're with, you know, in New York, we're with Empire, which is Charmer Sunbelt. We're with them in New York, New Jersey. We're with R&DC down in Maryland, D.C., Louisiana. We're adding Kentucky and possibly Florida with those guys. Okay, And possibly Texas. We're with Young's Markets out on the West Coast. We're with Quality Wine Spirits in Georgia, Lippman Brothers in Tennessee, Eater Brothers in Ace Goodman, Connecticut, and Horizon up in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Charmer in Pennsylvania. You know, we're essentially with our product is we're relying on consumers that are hearing about us in word of yeah. mouth that this right here in this building mm-hmm. is where we sell from and people go and we start seeing it pop on this bar and that bar tough thing is we have a few distributors mm-hmm. who are great and they are out there pushing some distributors
0: you know, they have bigger products that are paying a little bit more to have their attention. Sure. You can't send their number one salesman to Mexico or anything like you, yeah. Yeah, well, I like can like bring just, them to Roscoe and
1: put them, br- put them over the Rockland house. I love the Rockland house, but I don't think that's going to be the, <laughs> they're going to pick between, you know, going to Puerto Rico or going to upstate New York. But what's nice is it's it. there's a product for everybody. Yeah, And that's where, you know, we're looking for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to consumers coming in in the product and telling their friends. There's nothing more powerful than word of mouth. Unfortunately, the challenges of this industry. It's a three-tiered system. There's a lot of different things of getting the attention of the top rep, sure. getting them to take you out of the bag when they've got a you know special incentive for another $500 that month on X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes it tough. But no, we're not complaining. You know, we get out there, we
0: beat the streets. I was going to ask you are, you, are you doing a lot of tastings? Are you guys out there interfacing with people outside of Roscoe? Well, that? we try to. We've actually been through Taste of New York, been at the Super Bowl.
1: We've been poured at the... Oh, uh, wow charlotte motor speedway down in the center right off uh pit row uh <laughs> no we've been we do do a lot of events we did an art basel art miami but I, you'll see me at a retail tasting store you know it used to be we had a little bit more bandwidth my partner had gotten ill oh. he has leukemia so uh-huh. he came down this year mm-hmm. and so it's been long summer with missing the other guy that can go yeah. out and do tastings but what's nice is while he's down my father who just retired he's out Hey. <laughs> You'll see them on Long Island doing yeah. tastings. So it's, it's a combination. We're mm-hmm. we're trying to do the traditional things and we do when we can. Yeah. But the thing is, there's only more Saturdays in the month and how many times are you going to be able, you know, most of the tastings are on Friday and Saturdays. Sure. If you are booked up and you have the time to go do those tastings, then great. But if you have to make a batch of whiskey mm-hmm. or no one's at your tasting room because your staff was off that day, you've got to balance today. It's, it's a juggling act. But right. I think most entrepreneurs deal with that every day. Mm-hmm. So we we don't have any complaints about it, but it is a challenge when you don't have a lot of money. You obviously if you have a lot of money you can buy tasting people, you can hire salespeople.
0: So we're just forced Mm -hmm. to grow a different way. Yeah. So on that growth strategy than just internally, what was it like? When did you finally come to that decision that, you know, you need to hire staff? You know, like that must have been, a, you know, you go from two guys on a bus who are thinking, who have come up with a great name for a brand to only, you know, it's it's uh, December of 2014 as we record this to only five years later, you have seven employees. Okay, But yeah, we've got seven employees. It's something that's cool. Most of the employees we hired
1: on you know, within the last year. Oh, wow. The first year when we came here, we came here and, and opened here in like May of 2013. Opened the doors here. We were already operating out of here for a few months and going back and forth between Tuttletown. And we ended up bringing our first staff member on to help the tasting room about midsummer, summer mm-hmm. because we realized, hey, we need help. She ended up moving out of state. We ended mm-hmm. up randomly, Kyle, my, uh, my right hand, he had just graduated from the CIA and oh. he came, he lives in this town. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, this is his town. It was about Whoa. a quarter mile from here, born okay. and raised. One of the streets are named after his family, you know. <laughs> so when he came home, he was coming home from college. He yeah. said, hey, I, he showed up at the tasting room. I looked over at him and I, and he's like, oh, I'm not 21. And I go, oh, good. You know, because that would have had a proof, you yeah. know, but he goes, I just wanted to know if you had work. Fast forward, you know, I said, come back when you're 21. Mm-hmm. And he came back when he was 21 and said, you know, I'm still looking for work. And I said, well, great, let's mm-hmm. go up and do an interview. So we interviewed him, love the kid. You know, he's essentially helping me r- run day to day here. Yeah. But then the other folks started coming in towards the beginning of summer when John got ill, mm-hmm. I needed help. And so, you know, it's, and it's funny, it's, we never got people responding to any of the ads we put in the paper or put on, you know, Craigslist huh. or any of those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody randomly walks in <laughs> and goes, "Are you looking for work?" And it's normally the day that I'm like, "So we've hired." Yes, guys. <laughs> today we <I> need. <laughs> most people have started on the spot, and okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had them fill out the paperwork, and it's, okay. and it's great. To me, the team of people that we have here, you know, they matter the most to me because mm-hmm. you can't have a, a quality product, you can't have something that's getting made and sent out unless you actually got people that care. Yeah. So I've been fortunate. And that's why we're very selective, even Mm -hmm. though I'll say if if we had more than one person come and ask for a job at any given time, then we would have to be more selective. (laughs) But we're selective in that when people do start with us, we basically say, if you don't get along with the team, Mm -hmm. it could be the persons that people that work on the weekend, they're part of the team. So if you don't get along with them, you're not going to get along with the overall team. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's it's one person is not more valuable than the group. And that's kind of how we built it here. John and I do the hiring. Sure. It's the team that gets them through, making mm-hmm. they, and they're training each other. They're training, so it's a really beautiful community that we're trying to. A
0: lot of ideal, idealistic yeah. stuff going on here. Right? <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it's booze. It's uh, it, and and you are entering into a really competitive uh, marketplace. There, there has to be idealism behind yeah. it, and not just entering it jaded. And you clearly aren't. So. Yeah, yeah. We try to keep balance. for yeah. a small town. You know, so we're we've got
1: a big aspirations mm-hmm. of what we want to do, but it's all grounded in the fact that. It's hard work, it's effort, it's time.
0: You don't just turn on your still and millions of dollars start coming in, yeah. You know what? Nice. I, I, you didn't see it blowing out <laughs> yeah. the back there. Oh, <laughs> well, that was money you were pumping out, not bourbon. That you, so, yeah, we get a okay. lot. Of, a lot of
1: folks walk <laughs> yeah. in, and I think that's the biggest uh, challenge. I get the mm-hmm. pleasure. One of the cool things that I've been able to do, where this is afforded me, is, as a veteran and as someone as an entrepreneur, I've been able to go up and speak to at the up at Cornell each year. Oh, wow! At the Veteran Entrepreneurs Boot Camp. and what they do, they take wounded or disabled veterans and they oh. teach you. It's it's basically a two-week boot camp up at Cornell or a week boot camp. They bring in different entrepreneurs that were better, had a background, and you get a crash course in it. And one of the things that I say every year, I go, it's great that you have a good idea. Mm -hmm. It is a wonderful thing. And I commend anybody with an idea. But to go and execute, being an entrepreneur is executing on that idea every day Mm -hmm. it's not a matter of going and taking off it's not a matter of say you know what as an ideal for me family and i there's nothing more important to me than my family yeah but when people have to go and if you want to become an entrepreneur there's that that selfish aspect of the company has to come first Mm -hmm. on so many things and that's what i as i was looking around the room and i said you know being an entrepreneur is great
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: it also sucks (laughs) and anyone that goes in into it, and I look at the room every time. I said, "Look, I'm not a jaded or an angry person." Yeah. I said, "Let me tell you the bad sides of this, because no one talks about the bad things. They mm-hmm. always talk about the positive experiences. That you turn on the steel, and money's going to fall out. Right. No one talks about, hey, your boiler's going to burn out mid-run. What do you do? <laughs> what do you your do? Your roof has a hole in it. It's raining inside your building. All of a sudden, you can't figure out where the water comes from. Mm-hmm. But there's all sorts of setbacks that you have, and all those type of things. At the end, as I say, if you're trying to do this to have more time with your family, to mm. give you control of your destiny, then you know what, keep a job. right? Because a job is the best way to do it is because as long as you work hard for a company, they're gonna pay you a paycheck. Yeah, paycheck. Yep. And you know what, that's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. But if you have the passion and you have the fire and you have the fact that you know that you're gonna give up so much of personal time, relationships, friends, you're gonna grow on all these other aspects of, you've gotta prepare to sacrifice. Yeah, And that's where if you're not willing to sacrifice, then don't be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the things that, but that's one of the great things is being able to go up and speak to folks that when you're speaking for me, speaking to other people in a military background, the gung ho, get up and go thing, it's kind of cool because you don't have to go through and and question the character of the person. You can immediately start talking about, hey, this is Mm -hmm. what you have to do. Yeah, this is the work that's gonna be
0: required, the commitment that's required. It's it's not even
1: commitment. It's also admitting that you're wrong. Mm. You know, sitting there going through and saying, you know what, I don't know how to do this. So let me go and ask. And to me, that's been one of my biggest things. When I was younger and not running my own business, mm-hmm. everything was me, 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 me. Yeah. And when we started doing this, I started realizing I don't know how to finance something. Right? Okay. And I don't <laughs> yeah. know, I have never bought a... Dealt with the plumbing. We've never dealt with the water coming in off the street. That oh, there's a problem with the water main. Well, yeah. oh, what the hell's a water main? You know, like, I know that's where you shut it on and off. Like, uh-huh. but it's all little things in life that you go through and you say, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. Please tell me. What do you know that can help me? Mm-hmm. And listening to somebody and taking what they're telling you not as a criticism, because criticism is the best thing you can get as a business owner. I love people's feedbacks. I don't like you know silly bias comments of like, I don't like this. Well, well, why don't why you don't like you? It? <laughs> you know, explain <laughs> yeah. to me, tell me what you think I can do to make it better because I'm listening. And mm-hmm. at the end of it, whether it's any aspect of my operation or personal life, I just pull back, I take a deep breath and I <sighs> just tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done with it, either it's gonna be a value, it's not gonna be a value, but in most cases, it may not be a value today, but when you take the time to listen to somebody, mm-hmm. that little piece that they told you four months from now, a year from now, like, oh my goodness, I remember talking to so-and-so about that. Let me implement that. Yeah. It makes total sense. I wasn't ready for that piece of advice. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, all advice you have to take and decipher what is good. Life is a collection of life experiences, sure. right? So if you are you have so many people that are touching your business, whether it's our investors or family or friends that'll go and say, hey, by the way, have you ever thought of? Mm-hmm. You know, most cases, you're like, yeah, 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 I've already thought of, a lot that. of it. Yeah. But then In most cases, when you listen to their angle with it, Mm -hmm. once they get past, have you thought of, and then you get down the line, you can find some gems.
0: Kind of getting back to investments and selectivity, you know, third party suppliers of things, you know, because you have a great team here, you have employees that you can manage and control. There are other suppliers that help you get your closures, help you get your bottles. How did you find those people? Your bottles seem very unique. Are they your own design? Yeah. 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 Our bottle, the one that's right behind you. These are all 100%
1: American-made. Oh, wow. So we've learned a lot um, over the years. When you go in, if I'm starting my own company, if I was starting it again, I probably wouldn't have gone a custom bottle. Custom bottles are very expensive. It's actually been, in some days, it's like one of the best things, got love what their bottle represents, and I'll explain that, but it also what it represents, a major financial outlay every Mm -hmm. time. So when someone comes in and goes, oh, you only have a 750? Why don't you have a liter? Why don't you have a 1.5 liter? And you look at them going, Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank I you. Yeah. Thank you. Do you understand that that cost a hundred thousand dollars for those mm-hmm. right there? And if I want to put bigger one, mm-hmm. that's another hundred thousand dollars. It's I'm like, where do you get that money? You know, it's so custom is tough. But what we yeah. did, we started initially manufacturing. We went out and we were looking for U.S. manufacturers. This is going back six years ago, mm-hmm. and while there. Are Big manufacturers out there,
0: most of them weren't willing to work with small companies. Yeah. They usually want two truckloads per order. Or yeah, something. or they, they'll work with you, yeah. but just
1: take the ready made, decorate okay. a ready made. And what they'll do is say, hey, we'll work with you, but go to our factory in Europe, go to our factory mm-hmm. in Asia, go to our factory in Mexico. So what we end up doing is, and most of the factories, they want to deal with a middleman. So we okay. found a broker, initial broker we worked with, and we deal with two brokers. You know, one is Phoenix Packaging, which that's our current vendor. And the other vendor, you know, we still do business with, so it wasn't out of any, the other one was Fusion Glassworks. Okay. Michael and then I have Attila over at Phoenix, but Mm -hmm. you know, the the crazy thing is, is that we didn't know how to make something. So big thing in the industry is figuring out which people actually can help you (laughs) or which one are going to hinder your process. Those guys are great. And again, as I said, we still use both suppliers. Mm -hmm.
0: It goes back to knowing what you know and what you don't know, admitting exactly. you don't know how to make glass, and then finding the right person who's going to work with you. I'm going to work to with it. you, and, yeah. and
1: most of the guys that are in the industry all have their guy.
0: But what we do is we manufacture
1: all of our bottles in the U.S., that was something that was very important yeah. to me. I didn't like the fact that when we went overseas, because that's where they send you when you don't have any money and okay. you're looking to go make something, mm-hmm. you end up over in the Asian market and you're sitting there looking at it and you're going, okay, I don't know who I'm working <laughs> with. One of them, the factory blew up. I remember that oh the kiln, the kiln burned down, and and okay. they couldn't make the bottle. so we were yeah. delayed four months, and oh then we're geez. so it always set Plus, we're you know, it's, it's something as a veteran as an entrepreneur, we've got th- three active duty. Naval aviators who are also investors here. Oh, really? uh, They're all a bunch of my good friends and classmates, but we're very proud of being an American. Mm-hmm. Not to be a cliche in any kind of song, oh, no. yeah. but you know, for us, what our bottle is, the back of it, if you notice, it's, it's it's designed to look like a 1920s bottle. The back of our bottle is a poppy flower. The oh. poppy flower, that's the symbol of our company. Poppy Flower is a Flower of Remembrance for Fallen Soldiers and Sailors, which began at the end of World War One, which was incidentally right at the beginning of Prohibition. Oh, wow. So it was a fashionable symbol of the time. Mm-hmm. But when you really look at what it represents, you know, from every time I look at the bottle or tell a story, everybody has lost somebody.
0: Yeah.
1: And to me, as I grew up, you'd see the old man on the corner from the VFW and the American Legion Mm -hmm. selling little poppies on the corner and he would go up and they were always, even if you didn't have money, they gave it to you and told you, think about a soldier or a sailor, you know, think about your grandpa or whatever it was. And it's something that's a fiber of our Mm -hmm. country, that, that thing of respecting the people who have served. Yeah. So for me, every time I pick up a bottle and I know it's true for my partner is, you know, I'm thinking about my friends that have fallen. If I'm having a drink, I'm always toasting something. And I'm, to me, it's toasting, you know, the, the, my friends, my family, mm-hmm. people that have personally sacrificed, as well as all those other folks. We don't go out there and people learn what the, the symbol is. Yeah, they get yeah, it. Yeah. They get why we want to manufacture something sure. American. But it's also, what's kind of cool is that, that when you go to our tasting room downstairs, if you notice those little paper poppies, we take in, you know, we have thousands of visitors come into our facility. We do free tours. Mm-hmm. We charge for tastings, but we don't charge much. It's funny, like people come over and like, that's all? <laughs> I get one tasting and I go, no, it's it's for all of... This. So we yeah. taste the vodka, the gin, the bourbon, and we'll do a cocktail of source to show them. And it's kind of a neat little thing. But at the end of it, we actually take a wooden nickel and we put it in a jar at the end. Mm-hmm. And we explain to people, this is what the poppy is. Here's a poppy. Yeah. We wrap, give them poppy and say, you just donated a dollar to the VFW and the American Legion. Oh, wow. Every month an old guy comes over, right now he's in Florida for the <laughs> summer. He comes over and is, or he sends his kid and we've donated a couple thousand dollars so far this year to just, our, it's our profit. And I know a lot of people would say, well, why are you giving away money when you're not <laughs> making money? To me, it's doing things for the right thing. Yeah. It's part of an education. And we're not only educating people on how to make liquor, we're also Educating on people to like, hey, if you take anything away from here, you now know what a poppy is. And it's amazing how many adults don't know why those old men you know are in the corner and they'll mock. They're like, yeah, I see those old guys doing it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I go, yeah,
1: you got one hanging in your car mirror. Do you know that that's what it why? is? They yeah.
0: go, Oh, I didn't even know that was a flower. Wow.
1: So that's part of the education. But mm-hmm. our glass is made here in the U.S.
0: So just thank you for that education right there, though, Brian. That was that was incredible. It's something that if you don't teach, again, mm-hmm. I keeps
1: coming back to teach. Yeah. If you don't teach people any better for the next generation. We have kids that come in here and we tell people, come on in, it's more of an education. Cause I'm not mm-hmm. telling a kid, this is delicious. You know, we're explaining the science of something happening. Yeah. And as we go through the tour, you know, when we go do the taste of the kids, we have them go sit on the side, they're all on their iPads or their whatever. They go to the hotspot, start Googling Google and stuff, whatever they're doing, cause mm-hmm. they don't care to listen to it. <laughs> but we separate the two. And that's where, as okay. we we want kids to know. I don't know. It's something I yeah. think. If we
0: can do that, if we can add that service, it, I think it it makes would make my friends proud. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Then the actual art on the back itself, mm-hmm. beyond the symbol. Did you work with a graphic designer? For, yeah. How did you find that person to give them your vision to make sure that they carry through with it? It's kind of cool. And I would tell you to check out the guy. Anyone that wants to work with him, his name's
1: Roger Bentley. Roger B E N T L E Y. Roger is out of Seattle now. He used to be out of mm-hmm. New York. Roger's had an interesting career. He's worked for JWT. He's worked for the creative director at Cray. Wow. Gray advertising at this one, at that one. What was kind of cool is that through of a friend of a friend, we found Roger. That was during the process. It ends up being Roger was a Navy. He learned his trade in the Navy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's a Navy draftsman, a historian. But Roger designed and worked on a lot of big liquor companies okay. he worked on a lot of things everything from mercedes commercials to coca-cola the color i remember i think it was the color of passion that you know those old commercial for the world cup like 20 years ago yeah. it was like that there was a streak of red they were going all over the world people playing soccer and you see like red and maybe like the sari or the you know the, the color of the kids you know you see the kid, not it was never the can but it was the color of the coke can mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. a pretty interesting things so roger has a tremendous amount of background yeah so we met him when he was you know, now he left the big companies and okay. tried to, he started his own shop. Yeah. So we went to Roger and the idea of the Poppy, things come from mysterious places, how they ended up there, and all of the brand came together. The idea that we wanted to use an old bottle, we had different bottles that we were trying to, to emulate from that time. The label. The label was actually a prescription label for medicinal alcohol from the 1920s. We bought oh, really? It on, yeah, it was bought on eBay. <laughs> so when you look at it, the thing we took out, that's an old prescription. Oh, So wow. the pharmacist would sign the side. The uh, We took out the federal symbol out the mm-hmm. middle, but the border, everything else is the same. Okay. So we bought that, for, I think, for 13 bucks on eBay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so what it is is Roger took those pieces, uh-huh. but he quite kept explaining that that when you're creating a brand— yeah. And you're creating a product, and it's kind of a crazy, uh, there's a place where it intersects. Mm -hmm. Is he said, you have to watch out on a global level. If you need a quick flyer, you can't have a quick flyer. The brand always needs to look the way the brand's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. is when we came out, we were just going to be a brand. You know, the idea was it's going to be a vodka, and it's going to be this. And then when our brand company put the life into it, we put is driving force into our company and it started to evolve over time. Yeah. The brand started living and the brand became less about the original marketing campaign. If you saw it, it was super cool. Back then, liquor was marketed as you had a lot of money, you mm-hmm. dumped it into liquor and you put commercials, you put this its image. Right. And with us, as soon as it came on, I kept saying, but this is not about the bootleggers during the 1920s. It's about this little distillery in upstate New York mm-hmm. making spirit against all odds and <laughs> it's a lot like the bootleggers were doing, you know, it's, it's guys, we we don't have heavy funding. We don't have all these great things that a lot of people can afford, Mm -hmm. you know, but we have passion and passion will get you to where you need to get there. You know, as long as you, it's boundless, you know, you got to keep it going, but it's kind of neat thing is that working with Roger is that I know he's working on redoing our website finally. So websites dated. (laughs) So it's my own fault. It's just been so many things to focus on. And we didn't expect (laughs) All the products to come out at once we didn't have the money to go redo something so i said you know what we'll use facebook okay so we put everything on facebook gotcha. but unfortunately i looked at some of the numbers how many people actually hit our website on a given day and you're like oh we're missing an opportunity okay. to educate people on the distillery mm-hmm. so he's in the process of working but it's kind of cool is that the brand went from initially something that you would see this is a very cool brand yes to being this is a cool distillery mm. and when you know that people know i People come off the highway like, I've heard about you guys or I met you out in Montauk or Mm -hmm. I met you up in, you know, down in Georgia and I I was coming through the area and I saw your billboard and I came in. So it's kind of a neat thing is that it's bigger than who we are, Mm -hmm. but it's also tied and grounded in the fact that we're regular guys that are living living our dream.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So I guess as you look back now, now that you have done this whole brand evolution, and you've grown and expanded and you're in multiple states. You're taking over a second building now as your aging house and everything as your barrel house. Kind of looking back, what's that one thing you wish someone had told you when you were first getting started that you realize now? You know, What was that one piece of advice kind of looking back? Man, I really wish someone had told me about X. Well, What was that thing? I think I wish, you know, you learned
1: so much. It's yeah. not one thing. But it comes down to what I wish we would have done you know, years ago. Biggest thing I would say is, just do it, start it. Because we waited for a while before we went and got our own still because we wanted something bigger. We had a vision. We wanted to, but I just wish in some cases we would have just rented a little garage, mm-hmm. thrown a little 50 gallon still yeah. into it, and and started. The other thing I would say is listen, take your time, plan, but then go and execute it. But realize there's a lot of professionals out there and we've mm-hmm. never really worked with a lot of consultants but there's a lot of people in the industry that want to guide you and that they're experts in, they're experts, they're not, you know, unless unless they're running their own place Mm -hmm. and you can go physically visit their place, (laughs) they're not doing what you're doing. So they they haven't walked a mile in your shoes. So they're not going to know all the challenges. So I would say work with people, surround yourself with people that are doing what you're doing. okay. And that's, I think the biggest part, and they said it before, is the best piece of advice you can get, listen. Listen, if people say it's crazy, and I tell those people at one of the speeches I did, is that if you're going through and you're defensive, mm-hmm. because you know someone's questioning your plan, yep. it means your plan's not ready. <laughs> because you should be able to go through and say, no, you know what, we thought about that, and here's the reason why we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Rather than getting defensive, is say like, go and ask the question. Well, why do you think? You know, again, go yeah. back, ask the question, get the knowledge from mm. people, realize that because someone's giving you criticism. Yep. It's the only way you can improve. Mm-hmm. And that's something I wish I would have taken... First year doing was throwing it out for criticism, and I almost wonder if I would have continued doing it okay. had I done that. <laughs> right. so, so, so anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line to walk. Um, don't use custom glass. Don't That's use custom glass. There, yeah, there go. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> That's the short answer. No. <laughs> it's a common thing that I hear in these interviews. So now that you're on this side, now you're on the production side of the you know food and alcohol world. Has it kind of changed your relationship with bars and restaurants? You know, when you go into a bar or you go into a restaurant do you look behind the bar to see if you're there? Like, are you, can you relax when you go in no. there or no? No, I don't,
1: I don't relax. Cause I, I just look at it, But you know, the, when I walk into a bar and restaurant, it's not relaxing to me anymore. It's great when I, it's totally different role. So it's funny when I go out with my family, I have to go and pull myself back from looking at the bar, okay, going, yeah. Oh, what cocktail are they <laughs> making? Oh, what is it? Why, why are they pouring? Cause when I look at it, Everybody that walks in, it's it's similar to how people listening to a radio listen to the radio, is that they don't know why that music's on. They just like, oh, I've heard that song forty times today. I like it. Yeah. Mm. But if you would have heard all these indie spirit or or indie music going on the whole time, you probably would like those too. But unfortunately, they're not getting the airplay. Yeah. So when I look at a bar and restaurant when I go out there, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it more of like, huh, okay. <laughs> you know, first thing you sit down, you see a cocktail menu. I huh, wonder how much that costs. Oh, yeah. I wonder, wow, there seems to be a lot of that. The bartender is recommending over and over again a brand that they probably shouldn't be recommending mm-hmm. over and over again. And you, so you look at things differently because you've been behind the curtain at Oz yep. and now you're able to go and see that not all things are as they seem. So it's more of like, huh, now let me really ask the secondary question. Yeah. So you're thinking about, wow, let me ask the question of, hmm, why did you pick the pineapple chocolate raspberry flavored product for that drink. And you're like, you know, they'll go, oh, well, and if they don't have an answer (laughs) that it's because (laughs) it's the best product to get the flavor that I was looking for, it should always be the answer. It should be the answer, It should be the answer, but you see like, uh, ah. But it's kind of neat because as craft spirits grow, we mentioned before, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all sitting out there and we see the craft cocktail movement or the cocktail movement, you see that. But a lot of times in the cocktail movement, you're not seeing small brands being poured into Mm -hmm. them. You know, so that's one of the things that everybody's like, oh, well, you know, you guys are growing because of the cocktail move. Well, I don't know, because when I look at my numbers, I'm looking at middle America, meaning middle America here upstate New York. Yeah. We do really well up here. We're just like every other part of the country. Mm -hmm. You go into the city. Yeah, we have accounts that are doing really well with it. But if I walk into a bar and and everybody will tell you, it's a frustration thing. Oh, you should be in that bar. (laughs) Well, I I should be. I should be. and, (laughs) and, And when I go into that bar and they tell me, oh, never heard of you. I'm like you yeah, you, you haven't heard of me. Yeah. You know, I've dropped off cards here. Mm-hmm. I've gone through it. and you know what? At the end, they haven't heard of me. Mm-hmm. And that's the tough thing, is that it's always your fault. You accept responsibility that we yes, should have marketed different. We should have been feet on the street. We should be getting out there, but you can only get out so far. Right. You know, you can only make so much of an impact. So you gotta be patient. That's mm-hmm. can't beat yourself up over the fact that you're getting your butt kicked by someone's Salesforce with, you know, 50 brand ambassadors yeah. and wearing their little sashes and walking around and going out and spending corporate money. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to compete with. Yeah. So you, you just can't. You're a different brand. You're a different story. You're a different. You're yeah. different. And that's the part is when people, first people ask if, how do you compete? Well, you know, we, we're going to make a great product. We're going to put it at a fair price point mm-hmm. and we're going to go and make it the same way each and every time. And then we're going to go out and tell people a story and, Teach word of people to talk about it, ask for it. Because over time, enough people ask for it, someone's gonna have to pretend like they haven't heard about it. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you go out and you try to spend against the big guys, any of the big guys, I would say spill more stuff on their floor than we produce in a year. <laughs> yeah. So you can't compete that way. So as I always tell people, no one's a competitor. All of our peers, going back to the rising tide helps all ships, we're gonna work together with other people. If I see somebody else's product on the bar, I'm looking to see what's on. If I see my buddy Derek from CORE yeah. up on the bar, I'm gonna order his product. I'm gonna drink his product. If it's not, if I'm not there, mm-hmm. then I'm gonna support somebody that is. Okay. Because if people aren't asking for the brands, sure, people don't get, and that's what I tell people all the time, you can get our product on every shelf. You just have to go and say, hey, I'm gonna take my $30 and I'm gonna go and tell the retail liquor store Here is $30. I will pay for a bottle in advance. Can you order it for Mm me? Done. The guy will order it the next day. They're not going to hold off. And if you give someone money, but the Mm -hmm. challenge is consumers are going there. If they don't see it, they don't ask and they forget about you. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing is that how do you get people to impact and how does this social media and how does the word of mouth work? Yeah. Is people have to be willing to put their money where their word of mouth is Mm -hmm. and go and say, hey, I want this product. Yeah. Because the retailers, they don't care. They're being incentivized just like the big guys. Sure. And you they want so much shelf space themselves. And It works like a car dealership. You <laughs> know, when, as soon as that car's in the lot, as soon as that bottle's on the shelf, they have 30 days to sell it. That's how liquor works, right? Because they would be put on COD from the distributors. They won't get more product if they don't pay the bill. Okay. You know, to their defense, you know, and I don't fault them. There's some great retailers out there and there's some great guys giving us a chance. But they have to be willing. So if you pay for something mm-hmm. in advance, guess mm-hmm. what? they're going to carry it. They just need to make sure whatever they put on that shelf within 30 days, if it hasn't moved, it's just money out of their pocket.
0: Okay. Well, so it's my last question going to kind of that craft cocktail movement. What is one craft cocktail that you can recommend when people go and get a bottle of your uh, Prohibition distillery spirits? What's one of your favorite recipes that you can share?
1: Well, favorite
0: recipes for mine are different. The, the mixologists can go into
1: the mixologists with yeah. it.
0: They, they're amazing what they're
1: doing with this stuff. So, I always tell people I'm not a juice grower. If I had an orange grove, I'd be mm-hmm. telling you that I'd be putting orange into everything. Yeah. But you know, for me, if I'm drinking my vodka, I actually lately I've been on a kick with just a simple Tom Collins. Something so simple. You know, two ounces of vodka, an ounce of lemon. Actually, what I'll do is I'll take a bar spoon of Luxardo cherry. You know, cherries. I'll drop that in it. Top with club, shake it real quick. Top with club soda. But there's so many drink. The other one, you know, if I'm doing a gin, I'll do a Southside. I love a South Side with it, which is the original drink from the 21 Club. Okay. If I'm making it incorrectly, my apologies, because <laughs> I, as I said, I'd just make the juice. But two ounces of my of the Bootlegger 21 gin, an ounce of lime juice, and I do a splash of simple, even though the, the original doesn't call mm. for it. Mint leaves and just shaking extremely hard. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. That's one of my favorites. And then for the bourbon... I can't stop drinking old fashions lately. Okay. So <laughs> the favorite of mine. Yeah, I, I've, I, the other night I made, I did some kind of modified old fashioned because I was missing fresh orange, you know, so I had my orange okay. juice. And it was something that came out. I'm like, this is absolutely delicious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it comes down
1: to, and at, the, at the end of it all, you know, whether it's vodka, bourbon, or gin, they're all my little babies. You can't pick, it's, you know, sometimes it's what you feel like drinking that moment. But often, most of our spirits, most people take them and they just drink mm-hmm. them just right on the rocks, as you were saying before. That's kind of how they're meant to be
0: consumed. Mm-hmm. But it's fine the,
1: just by themselves. That's, and if you can't drink the spirit warm and straight, mm-hmm. it's not worth drinking cold and mixed in with something.
0: Because then you're just trying to hide. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: why yeah. when people tell you the category, it's a mixing, it's a mixing. I make a mixing, and it's like, whoa. Well, so you make something, you got to put something <laughs> in? And, you, and you're yeah. going to go and serve it? Oh, well, because the people come in here and go, I keep your vodka. Your bootlegger vodka I keep mm-hmm. for my that's my martini vodka and I mm. go that's great and I go why don't you put it in your cocktails? Whoa, whoa, because you know what does it matter what you put into your cause you're mixing it. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? And I look at it going, <laughs> do you realize all the things that you love about that product, the fact that it's clean, it's got no bite, got no burn, there's no headache, there's no all these fun mm-hmm. factors because of the way we're filtering. Don't you realize that would apply if you put it into a mixture? It all carries over. It all carries over, and, you mix, carries yeah. over and you're, right. so you're actually drinking a better drink. And that's where people that go, oh, no, but we, I've, you know, I've been told there's a mixing vodka. I'm like, who told you that? <laughs> who told you the big company? Who the makes big- the luxury vodka, the mixing mm-hmm. vodka, and the well vodka? Hmm,
0: it's really funny. I wonder if you've been influenced by a right.
1: pretty girl at the counter, which, God bless hey. me, they, they build brands that I can only envy <laughs> and dream of.
0: Great. Well, that's a great way to leave it. Brian, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the tour. Where can people find you up here in Roscoe? Where is your tasting room? Our tasting room is in Roscoe, New York, exit 94 and Route 17 in the
1: Catskills. Mm -hmm. It's worth taking a ride up to come see what we're doing. We do tours and tastings daily. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook slash Prohibition Distillery is where most of the information is. And we're starting to add the website, yeah, which uh, which will be coming up, but uh, we're <laughs> available in 15 states. But if you can't find us there, just shoot an email to us at Brian at Prohibition Distillery and I'll respond to you.
0: Awesome. Thank you,
1: Brian. Thank you.